0: Alright, welcome. Once again, as we continue on in our study of the New Testament, we're working through it a chapter at a time. Uh, We're we're into our, we finished two years already. We're into our third year, sort of the beginning of the third year on this, of a 20-year plan to get through the entire Bible. Five years in the New Testament, 15 years in the Old. I expect you all to be here (laughs) at the end. Of the first 20 and then we'll roll it over and start it again and the second time think how good good we'll be the second time through (laughs) Um, yeah we we started in the book of Matthew was a good place to start we did Mark then we did the book of John we skipped over Luke then we got to Luke and now we're doing the book of Acts after we did the book of Luke because Luke wrote both books it's a good place to start Uh, And there's a nice flow. Luke was very good, very diligent as a historian about recording for us, um, you know, Jesus' life and even before his life. And then um, in Acts, we we see the, the, uh, you know, the end of Luke, we see the end of Jesus' life on earth and then the resurrection. And then in the beginning of Acts, we see him there with the apostles and then. The ascension, and then the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter two, and the church has started. And now we're looking at how the church took off from there, uh, starting in Jerusalem, and then spreading um, throughout the world. And we've been watching the spread and fascinating things that have happened. We looked a lot at Peter's ministry, and we Paul was introduced to us, and then uh, as Saul, and then you know he sort of went away for a while, and then he surfaces again in Antioch with Barnabas. And um, the Lord calls him as sort of uh, the main missionary of the church to take it to the Gentiles. And over these last chapters, now we've been seeing that happen. The first missionary journey has taken place and um, Gentiles were converted. There was a a bit of a a problem because some of the Jewish believers thought the Gentiles should be circumcised, which, which means not only the act of circumcision, but to obey the entire law of Moses could have been a big problem in the church, but there was a big council, and they prayed and got together, and, and Peter was pretty settled on the issue because of what had happened in Cornelia's house in Acts chapter 10, and James, who's sort of the head of the church in Jerusalem, the half brother of Jesus, says, all right, we're not going to burden the Gentiles with the Mosaic law and circumcision. What we're going to do is ask them to do these things. There was a pretty simple list of things, uh, really, and we could kind of uncover them and find out they were actually biblical pre-Moses law and they were very moral things. And I I broke it down further further by saying that in reality what I thought they came up to was it's a life of grace. You need to live by trying to do the next right thing. And uh, they sent them out with the good news. And um, Paul uh, went out and started telling all the churches this. And uh, he's part of. He's doing that now, and he's also making some ground and heading to some new places along the way. And uh, in Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul makes three interesting visits. He goes to Thessalonica, and you'll hear a lot in the future about the Thessalonians. That's who lived there. And then he goes to Berea. And while you don't see any books of that title, most people have heard about the Bereans because they were very noble in character. We'll talk about that. And then he goes to Athens, where he has a pretty interesting encounter. And uh, uh, those are the main sort of uh, focus of Acts chapter 17. Now, uh, on his way to Thessalonica, he passes some cities, but doesn't feel uh, like he's supposed to stop there, I guess. Uh, And it's about a hundred-mile journey um, from... uh, where they just left, and and, uh, Thessalonica has a Jewish population, and we know when that's the case, as uh, his custom is that he goes into those Jewish synagogues where where he can uh, reason with the Jewish people that are there, and that also in most of the Jewish synagogues there's an area for God-fearers who would be non-Jewish people who believe, though, in the Jewish God, and yet aren't Christians either at this point. And uh, it's a great sort of jumping-off point for all of the missionary endeavors if they can start in a synagogue and meet with those God-fears as well. And so uh, we're going to see that happen again in uh, Acts, 7, uh, in Acts when, he, when they're in Thessalonica. And then in Athens, um, Paul encounters um, the, um, some philosophers And his encounter is fascinating, and Luke actually says all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Pretty interesting description that Luke gives of the people there in Athens. And Paul gives the residents there uh, an amazing exposition of the gospel, um, starting from the assumptions and ideas of his listeners... And then leading them through ultimately a confrontation with the revealed truth. So it's uh, this sermon that you're going to read that we're going to read. There is way different from the sermons that Peter preaches, but but it's important that we know it because see Paul, uh, fortunately for us, um, lets us see that we need to make the message um, something that the listeners can understand. We don't compromise the reality of the message, but he couldn't, he couldn't give the same message to the Athenians that he could give to the Jewish believers in the towns that he went to because they didn't have an Old Testament background. And so he had to change his approach. But the heart of the message stays the same, and it's fascinating to watch how Paul does it. And, and in, in this particular message, not only does he not quote Old Testament scripture, he quotes a Greek poet. And, and, and yet makes an amazing presentation of the good news. Uh, you know, no holds barred, amazing presentation of the good news. And see, the philosophers that he's dealing with, they have a mindset, um, and, and their mindset, the, 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 see philosophers have three main questions. Uh, whence, what, and whither. That's what they think about. In case you want to know, they they talk about the origin of things, the nature of things, and the end of all things. Um, To simplify it, it really means, you know, where did we come from? What are we here for? And where are we going? That's kind of the underlying questions of philosophy. Those are the things they're trying to answer with all sorts of different things. Paul answers them for them in an amazing message, but uh, very fascinating to see. Okay, I've talked. That's my preamble. That's enough. Let's, uh, Let's get into Acts chapter 17, 34 verses. And... I'll read them. You can read along in your notes, pick up your Bibles, follow along there. Uh, i read out of the NIV, the New International Version. If you have a different version, that's fine. Read it. And here we go. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous. Boy, that's the first time that's ever happened, huh? (laughs) That's just like every chapter. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, which is what you would do if you were the leading religious people of the group and didn't like what was going on. Let's go hire some thugs. <laughs> they formed a mob, nice group, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city official, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Now, part of me gets a kick out of that verse because Paul and Silas are getting a worldwide reputation. may not be the one they were looking for, (laughs) but they're known all over. Uh, And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, which was a lie, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus, which was a stretch. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's why the Bereans are so well known. That's, that's what we're all supposed to be like. When you hear something, you should examine the scripture for yourself to see what's going on. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Aerop- Pardon me. where they said to him, Many, uh, may, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the eropagus and said, "Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown god. Now what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you the god who made the world and everything in it is the lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live." Um, That's one of those verses you should highlight just in your Bible, that last one, 26. It's very fascinating. Determine the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God's involved with where you're at. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Oropagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, Pretty fascinating stuff. Three, three major stops on this trip. First was in Thessalonica. Like I said, about 100 miles from Philippi, where they'd been. Now, you're going to see as we move on in the New Testament that the, these places that, where, they were, where they went on these missionary journeys and planted churches, later on, Paul writes letters back to them to help them with issues. And that's what we have as most of our New Testament. The, so there's you know, the book of Philippians. Is, is written to the people in Philippi. Thessalonians, first and second, written to the people in Thessalonica. So you, you get a feel for this. Uh, oftentimes, he, he writes back to help them the things that are going on, which is wisdom for all the churches. Um, and so, as I said, Thessalonica had a, a, a synagogue, and as was his custom, he starts preaching there. Um, now, the, it says that he spends three Sabbaths preaching the good news in the synagogue, and that some of the Jews believe. And there's also a good response from the Gentile population. Um, but that reference doesn't mean they only spent three weeks, weeks there, because as you look into the text, you'll find that after that initial work in the Jewish synagogues, they spend most of their time working with the Gentiles and getting a church started, because Paul is there long enough that the Philippians send two offerings his way, and he's also there long enough where he has to support himself with some tent making. Well, we, we'll read that in, as you see other letters, but you need to know they're there for a while in getting this church started. It's not just three weeks and all this stuff happens. So they have some great success there in three Sabbaths at the synagogue preaching and a bunch of them believe and then uh, they they start ministering the Gentiles. But as we see happen in almost every place, some of the Jewish leaders get jealous and they wanna put a stop to it. And they, you know, we've seen it from the time we started reading the gospels from the very beginning with Jesus' ministry the Jewish leaders would get jealous, and they'd try and come up with ways to stop Jesus, ultimately to kill Jesus. And we've seen the same sort of persecution now following all the apostles and the ministry of Paul as he goes. And, uh, and so in, 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 the, in, the, in verse around 5, um, the, the, they're having great success, and uh, the Jewish leaders decide, as I said, to go out into uh, the town there and hire some uh, gangsters, basically, to stir up up the crowd um, against Paul. And and so they they get this thing wired up, and they can't find Paul or Silas, so they go to Jason's house. Now, that's kind of an interesting thing. because Luke just introduced Jason like we all know Jason, and uh, we don't know Jason. Interestingly enough, um, Jason is probably related to Paul. You say, Steve, how do you know that? Because in Romans 16, 21, it says, Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greeting to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. So, Jason obviously lived there, and so when they went there, Paul said, hey, I got a relative over there, he'll put us up. And they went and were staying at Jason's house. And so they know that Paul's at Jason's house with Silas. They go, this mob goes looking for him, can't find him so they arrest Jason he's probably like "Ah, oh, Paul what have you done now uh, and they take him to jail and they really don't have any anything to do so they they make him post a bond and they cut him loose most likely the bond said it was a money thing and it said hey if Paul and Silas come back into town and preach we're taking your money and so that's probably how that worked and so what happens is they tell Paul and Silas look you guys gotta you know it's you gotta go all right? Enough's enough. You've got to go. So, uh, so they leave, uh, uh, for now, Thessalonica, although that church will grow and get attended to in the future. And they go to Berea uh, in verses 10 through 12. And Paul, guess what? There's a synagogue in Berea, and he goes and he preaches there. And the Bereans, you know, I told you, noble character. They listen to what Paul has to say, and then they diligently search the Scriptures for themselves, because Paul gives them every possible scripture out of the Old Testament to tie this in over three Sabbaths and tell them what had to happen. And he, he's, he's very, you know, we know Paul's very intelligent and, and very good at presenting this stuff. He lays it out for them. They study it themselves, and a lot of them believe. And, and, and so good things start to happen there in Berea as well. The, the gospel's received. You know, um, a church starts. They get a little thing going. And um, the Bereans are fine, but the Jewish leaders in Thessalonica hear that Paul's having success in Berea, and what do they do? Well, we can't have that. So they send the thugs over there again. Just like you did here, let's roust them out of Berea. We don't want them that. We don't want them around. Just, just get rid of them. And so um, uh, that's verses 13 through 15, and, and they stir up the crowds, and as a result, Paul leaves, but Silas and Timothy stay, it says, and they help the church get started. And so Paul's off now by himself, we think. Um, and he goes to Athens. He's escorted to Athens by some other believers, and, and he gets there, and he says, Okay, you know, um, tell Silas and Timothy I need them over here. And, and so Paul's in Athens, and he decides just to take it easy and kick back at the resort. And uh, even though there's all these idols in towns, he doesn't do anything at all. He just waits. No, he doesn't. So what happens? He sees all these idols It says he's, he's really upset by the whole thing. And so he's there by himself, I love it. He just starts talking to anybody that he can and telling them about Jesus. And it says he goes into the synagogues and the marketplace and he has these conversations, reasoning with anybody that will listen to him, telling about Jesus and the good news. Now, Athens um, is is sort of the remnant of um, what had been a thriving Greek culture about 300 years before. Um, and, and the Greeks still had some influence in the world, but not like they had 300 B.C. Um, by now, the Romans had pretty much started to that, uh, erode that, but Athens was the center of uh, this, this Greek understanding, Greek mythology, Greek, all those things that were going on. Athens would have been the center of that place. It was a place where, uh, the, where the people who lived there were considered to be extremely intelligent, and Luke uh, describes them as people who you know, did nothing all day but, but talk about things, about the latest thing. And that's all they did was talk about the latest thing. Uh, and it, the way Luke kind of described it doesn't sound like he had a whole lot of concern for them. That's kind of interesting. And what's fascinating to me is that in, in Athens, Paul's biggest opposition isn't the Jewish leaders for a change. It's the philosophers. They're the ones that he starts having some issues with. And um, there's two forms of philosophy that's big at the time. Epicureanism, isn't that a great word? And Stoicism. Of course, you all know what those mean, so I don't have to explain them. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Bill, you want to take that one? (laughs) Very good. Look at that. The chief end of man... For the Epicure- Epicureans believed the chief end of man was pleasure and happiness. Very good, Quentin. The Stoics, however, felt that um, uh, there, was a, there was a great purpose that was directing history some way and that man's responsibility was to fit himself in and align himself with that purpose through tragedy or triumph. Um, and so they were considered to be very Stoic. Um, they, were, they were to fit themselves in. The problem was, you know, as you can imagine, when they did that, it made them very puffed up because it was like they're, you know what I mean? They had figured it out, and those were the Stoics. So uh, both the Epicureans Epicure, and the Stoics didn't care for what Paul had to say. Uh, because it would impact, and, and they would disagree with, it, it hit at the heart of their philosophies in major ways. The gospel does that. See, because they had come up with their own ways of trying to define the big three questions, right? How did we get here? Why are we here? And where are we headed? And Paul has the truth for those three things that totally goes against what they believe. So that's the, that's the sort of setup. And so they invite him to the Europagus, this, this meeting place, this council, to come and uh, talk to everybody. Pretty, really, when you think about it, now this is a cool invitation, really, for someone like Paul, because Paul's brilliant and, and, and is able to stand and deliver, so to speak. So it's an amazing invitation to be asked into this council of philosophers to present the good news. And Paul, uh, you know, it's, it's so... He's so, you know, led by the Spirit. He's so amazing. Because he starts, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the points of the message are clear. Uh, t- he talks about the creator God, who's revealed himself in creation, um, has now commanded that, that people need to repent, and that everyone has to give an, an account of themselves to Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. That's the main point. Good news is in there. That's the main point. But he brings them first into the discussion. I love the way he does this by talking about how religious they are now that term religious you know we use that we throw that around like that's a good thing it's really not a good thing um you know we're we're to be relationship people with christ um and so the terminology isn't a good thing and yet they like it it tickles their ears i wandered around and i can see how religious you are because of all the idols you have in fact you're so religious to make sure you don't leave any gods out because you're not sure if you got them all you don't want to offend any you actually have an idol to an unknown god just so you cover all your bases do you do you get what he's saying to him? you guys are really religious but he says you know how about if i shed a little light on that unknown god for you and tell you who he is and so he he preaches the gospel uh, to them in a way that they can understand. And he tells them, in effect, there's only one God, and, and that God, um, who he is and what he's done, and what he's done for them in Christ Jesus, and what they need to do in response. And uh, it's a great... I, I Go back this week and read Paul's response. Paul, what he says, how he weaves it in, how he says to them that, see, their whole deal is worshiping idols, and he says, that's not God. Why would you think that the creator of all things can be represented in gold or silver? And he said, and, and in fact, he kind of, he, he makes the connection with them that they're false gods, that it's demonic, and that they need to repent. And I love, he, he says, he says, God's allowed this ignorance to go on for a while. I mean, so he calls the intelligent people, says what they've done, ignorance. But the time's coming when you need to repent, and it's at hand now. And, and now that you know the truth, you need to deal with it. Um, and as a result, some of them believe, there's a lot of them, just like, same situation. See, if your if your set of beliefs isn't grounded in a person that you have a relationship with, like in Christ, you you they they can't they can't let go of their position and their place because it's really all they have. It's it's a, it's a facade. It's it's not real, and so it's so hard for some of them to give it up. Just like the Jewish leaders when they see God at work, and yet they couldn't because they didn't want to give up their, their position or whatever it was. And, and now the, these philosophers, are smart guys, they, they just know they've, been, they've heard the truth. And some of them go, that's the truth, man. We've got we to gotta go with that. But others resist, and they, they do the same situation. Um, but you see that some happen. We don't see, though, as a response of these people believing, it's, it's, we don't have any recorded um, church being planted there at the time. So it's not like it was Paul's fault, but for whatever reason... This is one of those places where they visit where there's not a church that that seems to come immediately in the process there in Athens. Success all around, but no church there. But some believers come along, and um, later on we're going to see where they get some more fruit out of the area, um, but, but not here in this first visit. And that's probably enough for today. That's Acts chapter 17, really good stuff. Go back, really, this week and read Paul's message again from verses 19 through 34. It's powerful. But, but see, it helps us to see how, how we can use um, even cultural ideas, which is what he did, and introduce the good news with, without compromise, but yet in a way that can be heard. Because you can't, just, you can't start talking to people about Jesus who have no Bible knowledge whatsoever and, and act like they've got some. Because they'll just go, well, how do you know that? Well, that's what the Bible says. And they just look at you like you have to come at it from a different way, and that's what Paul sort of teaches us by the Spirit in in that process. So uh, I would encourage you to do that. If you're watching by video, thanks for watching. We're glad that you were were with us. If you need anything, you can call us, write us, and uh, we'll do what we can for you. We're going to close here with prayer, and so you guys can turn the video off upstairs, and if you